Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast, where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm the bad boy of X-Men podcasting, Zach Jenkins. How are we doing, Adam? I'm great. I, uh, you know, I've got my hair as high as it possibly can go. I feel like I've made this joke before. but um, Listen, we've done a Legion-based episode before. We did... Hold on. No, we've done... At least one Legion-based episode where we talked about the Ur podcast for this Legion quest that I did with <laughs> Matt Sibley yep. a while ago that died when we both realized, oh my gosh, television seasons have an off-season? No, we're not <laughs> doing a podcast that long. Sometimes very long off-seasons that may last Sometimes, <laughs> Sometimes you get so distracted by the off-season and then your cable, your mom's cable runs out and you don't watch FX and then it's like, <laughs> oh man, do I... I probably have to rewatch the whole show to catch up on season three. I've started season three like three times. Oh, you've never finished Legion. I forgot. I've never finished Legion. I got, listen. I feel like the fight between Legion and the Shadow King at the end of season two was kind of like people. When I say fight, I mean it's an animated mind fight set to uh, them both singing "Behind Blue Eyes" by the Who. You might know it from uh, "Behind Blue Eyes" from uh, Limp Biscuit. If you grew up in a certain amount of the Jesus. early 2000s, that's a painful, that's a painful one. That's how I first uh, got to know about that song. All right. No judgment. I'm, I know I laughed, but okay. Adam, you also were not alive in 1970 when the who's who's next. No, came out. of course not. I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, it's so funny how we learn about things. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, this is an oddly good song for Fred. Yeah. What's I'm Fred like, Durst doing with this? I was like, wow. Oh, no, that's Pete Townsend. That Billy Corgan, what is this beautiful song, Landslide, he's written? You know, like, these are sad moments in a, in a young man's life when we learn I mean, Annie, like, are you okay? I feel like <laughs> Alien Ant Farm was asking the right questions. <laughs> well, we're going to ask the right questions this week because, as we hinted, we are doing a Legion-centric episode this week. And who do we have to thank? Uh, we have to thank Patreon supporter. That's what's important. It's really the Patreon. That's true. Um, Sukakari twelve thirty. Oh, I, I want to assume that's an Xbox gamer tag. I don't know, but I just are there that many I don't other think people normally put like numeric characters in birth certificate names. Mm, unless you're like one of Grimes' children, you know. Yeah, like. man, you remember early. <laughs> Have we talked? We've talked about on this podcast many a time, haven't we? The early pandemic period where Elon Musk and Grimes were having a bad marriage off between uh, Amanda Palmer and uh, Neil Gaiman. Uh, it, I'm sure it's been mentioned, um, if not here. Somewhere I think about offline. those like that month, that early Oof. pandemic month, a lot. It was Tiger King. It was them fighting. It was all of us saying. Well, do we need masks? We're not sure. And the government's saying we're not sure right now. Anyway, we were terrified that the air could kill us because it could. <laughs> We've been defined by this moment. Um, so in ways that we have yet to uncover. It's true. It's true. Uh, we are going back to the Halcyon days of 2013. 
to talk about X-Men Legacy 1 through 6. This is Volume 2, uh, Prodigal. So this is written by Cy Spurrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, art duties are split on these issues. Uh, Tang and Hutt uh, does most of them with Jorge Molina doing a couple in the middle. Um, first thing you have to address when you talk about this series, and I, I feel so strongly about this. Those Mike Del Mundo covers. Man. Those Mike Del Mundo covers. Mike yes. Del Mundo. Make you, but posters. I want a poster of everyone. I want to plaster got, the inside of my, you know, my Adam, I have with great them. news for you about Mike Del Mundo's e-commerce strategy. Yes. He likes I mean, to sell posters. Mike, Mike Del Mundo sells a lot of things. It just relaunched. A, when, this is this is not a paid advertisement by Mike Del Mundo, but Mike, give us a call. Um, <laughs> I'm fine to hop your web store for a shockingly low rate. Love it. Love it. Uh, I subscribe to Mike Del Mundo's newsletter, the one that's not Three Worlds, Three Boots. Yeah, which of which I also of subscribe to Three Worlds, Three Boots, which is the biggest I, scam. I I, love I, I don't know. Hold on, I do have a like. <laughs> I do actually have a large comic here. Yes, one large them. comic for like what eighteen months of fun. Twenty four months of it was like I spent like forty five bucks. And then I wasn't going to do it for a second year. And then I saw that they had Steve Epting drawing mushrooms. And I was like, ah, you got me. got him with the mushrooms. Johnny, you got me again. Listen, far be it from me to um, negatively describe an independent publishing entity by some of our favorite people. So um, honestly, love everybody who's involved. in Exactly. Keep getting them dollars and keep making whatever weird guidebooks you're making and you know, behind really, the they just want to make an RPG, but they don't have <laughs> any idea on what <laughs> rules to do or how to make it. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by Three Worlds, Three Moons. Yeah, uh, that's folks who aren't that plugged in. That is Jonathan Hickman, Mike Del Mundo, and Mike Huddleston's Substack project that started with a bunch of Substack grant money, <laughs> and now it's you know how sometimes you make a narrative. And you, mm. like, have a plot and, like, a driving progression and themes that you want to hit. Yeah. They said, much like me in middle school, what if we started with a map and <laughs> went and from there? Diagrams. And just like me in middle school, they never have come up with a story around it. It's beautiful. Them. Some of the best design and best work. Have Mike Nomundo and Mike Huddleston drawn many pages? The answer is No. They are also getting that money, and I can only be so mad about it. Bless them all, and I, I wish that uh, I wish them well, and I hope the book turns out great. Uh, X Men Legacy does have uh, six issues here for us, and this is right. kind of what we're talking about redefining the character after um, his appearances in the Mike Carey run of X Men Legacy Volume One. Yeah, we've talked about X Men Legacy in the past, and. We have. The idea of it from a high concept was, hey, let's start to phase in and out different characters to be the lead. So it starts as a Charles Xavier book. It moves into a rogue book. And then it tries to pivot a little bit more, but never really succeeds at stopping at not being a rogue book. And then Mike Costa or whoever jumps in after Carrie just gets distracted and doesn't really do much of anything with it. Mm hmm. And then they said, no, we got to get back to it. So let's take Legion, who had been a 
character that Carrie was very interested in at the end of his run uh, and say, let's make him the focus here. Get X-Men legacy. Well, he's the legacy of Charles Xavier. It's clever. Like, okay. It yeah. is clever. It is clever. And they bring in Cy Spurrier to do this and Tang and Hut. Tang and Hut, whose art is weird. And mm-hmm. if you told me you hated it, we've had this conversation. We had this conversation uh, with some friends. I said, if you hate it, we get I it. believe you and I yeah. understand. I don't. No, it is perfect for this book. And uh, so much so that when Jorge Molina, who is extremely talented, um, does the issues that, you know, are filling in, it seems a little strange because it's a little too polished for what it is that the story is. So right. um, where do we find Legion at the beginning of this series? Legion is at a, like a Kathmandu style monk monastery for <laughs> Tele- can, telepaths it really does seem that way and he, it, it whereas he was relying on a sort of dr nemesis wristwatch to change between his personalities he now has developed a prison system inside of his head um that the is carceral state always what i want to model <laughs> right my uh my mental health after yes um and he can you know pull a prisoner out of their cage inject him with his needle fingers in his head and gain that character's powers. Right. So it's a little bit more concrete than it has been in the past. Unfortunately, because of this setup, which is pretty brilliant, I'll give Cy that. Um, It's a very smart premise because of this uh, incarceral setup. All of those personalities want to break out of their jail cells and take over Legion's body, which makes for a great premise. It does make for, a very interesting literalization of what he's dealing with. And they have that opportunity when Charles Xavier is killed during uh, Avengers versus X-Men. Mm-hmm. And then oops, David's having some feelings and not managing himself. Well, does kill everybody at this monastery. The monastery is very weird. It's a it very is. weird setup. I don't know it, why. It's where there. he was dropped. You know, it's another one of these like, hey, we need to send David off somewhere. And unfortunately. No, it wasn't. That's the thing. He wasn't there. He. Sh- this is the first time we hear about it. Oh, I know. I know. But it does. It is kind of implied that he's been like sent there, you know, and that he's going to be helped by being there. Um, and, you know, much to everybody's delight, he kills them all um, by accident. So. Great. Uh, (laughs) Now, this storyline, you would think, would, you know, immediately go into Legion kind of being the bad, but that's not the case for this first six issues. um, Legion's foil throughout this series is Blindfold. Hey, I got to pause right there. We got to go back to that that Katmandui thing. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, You know... Murhaz, the mystic, the the white the white guy that's teaching him all of the ancient uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. Asian. Do you know when he was created? Because the answer is not 2012, like I had assumed. See, uh, like a Doctor Nemesis, uh, you know, Golden Age creation. Who is this guy? Yes. Oh, really? Blanket answer. You got it in one, Adam. He <laughs> he's from Mystic Comics number four in 19. 19- and 40. Wow. Wow. God bless. I love a deep dive. How fun is that? Um, I wish it was good, but you know what? Shocking. Great. Whatever. That's what that, 
it makes me like the character more and I don't like him very much. So that's, that's interesting. No, I mean, you, you can't really get attached to him cause he's not very, he's not there for very long to begin with. Um, but Legion is not the villain of this arc. Um, I, I mentioned that blindfold is sort of like his other half throughout this series, but our villain, at least for the first couple of issues is uh, a new character who happens to be blindfolds brother. Yeah, this is Luca Aldine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he first appears as some floating eyeballs. <laughs> yes. Mentioning blindfold doesn't have eyeballs. Luca does. He's an eyeball right. guy. <laughs> Luca's a racist and a bigot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hates mutants. Is also just generally racist. Like, so much of his dialogue in this is him just slur, just, just being racist. And that sucks. There uh, sure is some interesting uh, choices being made by Cy Spurrier because not only is that character uh, definitely bigoted, but um, that character is going to possess a child. And um, there are two children that are introduced as part of this story. Um, They are, I want to make sure I get their names right. Um, So Sojobu Harasu Tengu. Yeah. um, who are both found when Legion encounters a cult of very racist caricatures um, who are worshiping the mask of Ogun. Yeah. um, And here's the thing that's weird. Listen, I understand that in fiction, if a character does a thing, it is not a one-to-one representation of the author's thoughts and feelings. That is true. I want to be very clear there. So the fact that Luca is a racist character and like his point is that he is a bigot and his bigotry caused like trauma in Ruth, Ruth, uh, his sister blindfolds life. Okay. Like I get it. I think, I think there is a open discussion to be had in general about, okay, well, how do you portray these things in fiction without perpetuating the same racism that you're trying to criticize? I think that is a nuanced and a conversation that doesn't necessarily have a clean answer. And nor am I really the person to get that. So I want to, I want to put that just right there. Like I see what's happening. It's not how, what I want to read. I get it. It is very weird to juxtapose that with the Pokemon episode of South Park level racist. That is uh, the Japanese characters in this story. Yes. Who are all speaking in a very sort of jilted, broken English. It's, it's that it's that Pokemon episode of South Park. It's like bad. it's just it's just that. Yeah. And it's played for humor. And I'm it like, is. Yeah. I'm <laughs> you understand the disconnect, Cy. Like, yeah. You can't have a character being racist and then do a racist character because it just it just it really screws up your whole point. Yeah. It definitely, really does. Definitely hard to uh, sell the, the- I, Bigotry is bad when you are doing a bigotry. <laughs> I had forgotten about this stuff and I was truly shocked. Go back. It's like issue three or something. Go back and check folks. If you don't believe us, it's like shocking. Like this, we weren't doing this in 2012. We kind of had put the kibosh on it. I had not read this in a significant amount of time. And I was reading this on my iPad on a, break at my daughter's dance competition. So I'm sitting in a public auditorium with a whole bunch of people around me. And I gasped. I was like, oh, he did what? 
because <laughs> I had forgotten that this is actually part of the story. So that's no really good. weird. No good. That's not even getting into the Ogun and the general fetishization yes. of its Japanese culture. And it's, it's, fine. It's, we're, yeah. we're, it's a story with the ninja stuff. Yes. All of, all, all of that has challenges as well. Sure. It does get into, you know, a thing of then Legion saying, okay, well, I'm going to rescue these kids mm-hmm. and the I'm X-Men coming and say, I'm going, they should go to our school. And he's like, actually, I think this is a, I think X-Men that you're going to treat me bad and you're going to treat these kids bad. Yeah. He doesn't want to be called Legion. They keep calling him that. Um, to you be know. Fair, I'm pretty sure that was like, I don't know where, now I'd have to go back to see that, but it does remind me of the current run of new mutants where they talk about no girl and oh. like, Oh, everyone's so bad for calling her. No girl. I was like, okay, that was her. Like, yeah, that was just, <laughs> tr- there's a conceit to superhero stories. Right. And if you're like, Oh, that was a terrible thing. Okay. But it, that's not what it was presented as at the time. And you're, you're going back and, it, and it's just, it's, it makes for a weird argument. Yeah. So anyway, because eyeball boy, the not eye boy, um, because of blindfolds, brother inhabiting, Luca. The, the little boy, um, they, it's ever, there's a battle at the uh, Jean gray school and eventually Legion and blindfold prevail in stopping him, but it results in the little boy dying. Right. Yeah. Luca does kill a child here. Uh, he's yeah. not good. Yeah. Also, uh, the Japanese children have yin yang powers. That's a weird choice. Also very strange. Um, there's a, couple of choices here right with the origamist and things like that but that's okay, the origamist being one of his powers to full dimensions that's pretty dope i, I think that rules <laughs> that that rules yeah that's uh, and great. some of the powers are interesting and i think cyspurrier you know wants to explore what you can do with okay he's all powerful and he can't control his powers and all of his powers are kind of weird yes and they're all Let's, fighting to, like that is the fun conceit of the character, right? Is that yes. not only can he control it, but they're all fighting to take control. So when I'm reading this, that's the premise that I think sticks. That's the premise that guides the rest of the book. I think it's more interesting than some of the things that happen outside of his head. And that's yes, generally my take on this first arc. Well, it's, he tries to do it as a criticism of Xavier's dream and Xavier, Xavierism and all of this. Mm-hmm. And I, this is this is a problem I have with a lot of Cy Spurrier's writing in general. And I, in a lot of stuff, I like Cy Spurrier. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of what he's currently doing on the Krakoa stuff, but different strokes, you know. Uh, but I feel like Cy gets on a uh, gets on a pedestal and says this is the way things should be, or at least has a character do that. And I'm not sure whether whether it's the uh, space that you have in a comic to make a big grand thesis speech or mm-hmm. anything, mm-hmm. but it doesn't always come through. And like, in this case, I feel like the X-Men are kind of flanderized in a, in a weird way. Like they are, they are written so that Legion is right and not written in such a way that you've read other X-Men comics. Right. They are written in such a way that someone takes the joke. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's Xavier's paramilitary school for child soldiers. And says, what if there was no nuance to that and we weren't accepting the conceits of the medium? Yeah. And I don't like I roll my eyes. I'm like, okay, you're that's I get what you're doing, but you're doing it in a place where you're breaking the thing if you look at it too hard. No, you're absolutely right. So why don't we take a stab at ranking this? Because we actually have ranked a couple other things from uh, this this book. 
Yeah, we're kind of being critical to this because it's I do think that the run gets to a oddly bad start compared mm-hmm. to where it ends. And I I like I like the story of Legion coming into his own and his level of self-acceptance and wanting to have his own agency and choose his own future. I feel like that works a lot better to me than the criticism of the structure of the X-Men that this first arc becomes. And we'll get into that because we do have this big old list, Adam. You are absolutely right. Big old list. Uh, It's a big old list of all of the X-Men stories that have ever been or ever will be pending us actually putting them all on this list. Uh, (laughs) Ranked from best to worst. Uh, We have 759 stories while we're on that road, that that long old road to 800, uh, with the number one story being the House of X, the Powers of Ten, the 100th story being Ultimate X-Men World Tour, the 200th story being Uncanny X-Men Volume 3, number 14, Morph, number 300 being the seminal Glob Loves Man Kills from Old Man Logan. Nice. 400 being Death Whale from Generation X. That's that time they fought Omega Red that one. <laughs> uh, X-Men Regenesis one-shots at 500. Nova number 22, where Nova from Nova goes uh, trick-or-treating with the Jean Grey School Aww. kids. That's at 600. Number 700 is Uncanny X-Men 442 to 443 of Darkest Nights. And you know the Draco. <laughs> It's at that bottom of that list. It's so, uh, 759. So many stories. Legacy on here. So up at 62, we have X-Men Legacy 300, which is the forget-me-not one shot. This is definitely not as good as that. Yeah, no, we're not in the top. Because we've got we've got a couple of X-Men Legacy stories yep. doing well. We do have at, at 224, X-Men Legacy 10 to 12, Invasive Exotic. That is the uh, the pills slash Red Skull story. That one's definitely better than this. That one's definitely better than this. But uh, I think this might be better than at 342, the next arc, which is Hope and Glory, which... Um, really? Oh, really? You I, think Hope and Glory is better? I think Hope and Glory is... It's big. It's big flaw is that I have to read it in 2023 and I'm now cynical and I don't believe that (laughs) a bunch of mutants doing good on television would save the world. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think that's why I think this particular first arc is better because it introduces all of the premises that really do work for the rest of the series. And that does it. It introduce, it introduces the mental prison. I'll give it that. Yeah. I would yeah. say that the rest of the stuff it introduces, the stuff with Luca, the stuff with the kids, is actually some of the weakest in terms of the concepts in the series. Okay. I think the mental prison is great, and I want to spend more time there. Like, it's a, it's an awesome setting. I do think we're in the right realm here, though. Like I I'm, do, too. I'm looking down at, like, 366's Trial of Gambit. I think this is better than that. So uh, I, 350 is Soul Possessions. Yeah. From X-Men 3. Why is that a 3 Because Connor was on the episode when we ranked it. Okay. It's also kind of fun. I mean, that's, yeah. That's some I, had stuff 290, I had 290 guys uh, arguing against me. That makes sense. So. Uh, I think, I don't know. I think this is kind of better than this whole possession, though. Yeah. No, I agree. So we're, we're right here in the 340s. So where is it going to go? Is it better or worse than Uncanny X-Men 300? A comic that. Oddly is also a criticism of Xavierism. I'm going to say it's better than that, but not as good as X-Men Black Mojo 1 at 344. 
X-Men Black Mojo number one, I think fundamentally does not get Mojo the way it should, but it does <laughs> fundamentally get Glob Herman. And one ding, of ding. these things is more important to me than the That's other. the important part. All right. So uh, we're going to kind of work our way back through time as we get through this episode. And we're going to go back now to X-Men Legacy Volume 1. What is this arc, Zach? Uh, this is called Lost Legions. Uh-oh, we uh, lost our legions. We did lose our legions. It's X-Men Legacy 250-253. I feel like if I had some legions, I would want to lose them. You know, just medically speaking. The thing about, the thing about <laughs> legions is that they are many. <laughs> so if you lose one or two, it shouldn't be a big issue. But what this comic posits, uh, and this comic is, of course, by Mike Carey, uh, art by Koi Pham. Uh, for the majority of it, uh, Steve Kurth does a little bit as well. Uh, what this arc posits is what if losing your legions was bad? Oh, it's a big deal because sometimes they'll just what? Like take over a European capital? Um... <laughs> so so Legion has his magical magical wristwatch, his Ben 10 watch. <laughs> it really is. It's a Ben 10 watch. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Ben 10, created by a bunch of comics dudes, the man of actions, it's just dial H for hero. Sure. So it's all it's all circular. Yes. Yep. Uh, but Legion's got his Ben 10 watch. And this is just after Age of X. So everybody is still sort of reeling from the alternate reality. They're reeling from it. They're trying to understand it. And we have a new we have a new team here, pretty yes. much. Uh, yes, we do. Because the team had been, I don't know if there's it's hard to say there was really ever a team in X-Men Legacy. It just kind of, but there's yeah, characters yeah. that kept popping up. And sure. you got in this, you got Rogue, her boyfriend Magneto. <laughs> yep. Mike Carey really tried to sell that one. I get it, but. Eh, kind of kind of works. I mean, it depends. I, I think Rogue and Magneto is an excellent, excellent ship for Age of Apocalypse because it's so buck wild anywhere else and I cannot. I wrap my mind around. Yeah, I never get it behind it in the 616, but um, it's, just, it's just like, I'm like them. <laughs> uh, Gambit's also here, which is great because uh, he's not happy about about Rogan Magneto either. Nope. Uh, Frenzy's here and Carrie is starting to give her the kind of development that he kicks off. Yes. Uh, and has turned her into a character that like we need more of in mm -hmm. comics. Like, I, I like Joanna Cargo. I think her only issue from really breaking through is that her powers are just, I'm strong. Yeah. I can punch stuff. And and she doesn't have a, a great visual identity beyond that for comics. I think that's the one thing that's holding her back versus some others. Uh, but I love her. Great personality uh, though. You know, great personality. You can't say great personality to someone. They get so mad. <laughs> you, I would they never say that so to frenzy. <laughs> There's very little. I would say to frenzy. I'd be afraid I would be punched in the face. Yes. Yeah. Uh, throughout this arc, Gambit is kind of teasing her about Cyclops uh, because the two of them, you know, Cyclops were and frenzy a were, a, were a married couple in the age of X. It this doesn't go out over well. Um, so, this, also, anyway, Legion and Professor X are also Yes. Here. So Professor X uh, is sending some of this team out so that they can find when Age of X ended, uh, some of Legion's personalities got loose and physically manifested themselves across the globe. And sure. they're, they're causing some havoc. Um, nope. Nope. That's a different guy. They're yeah. causing some chaos. Nope. That's a different guy. Too. <laughs> 
They're causing <laughs> mayhem. They're causing some. Um, I, I listen. I didn't read every '90s comic, but I'm 100 <laughs> percent sure that's also a dude. Pick a word. They're causing some amount of distress in the world. Yes, it's true. Um, unfortunately, these characters that offshoot from Legion are really not very interesting. Unfortunately, kind. No. It's, so you have the you have two two extremes. You have the Claire Bunsen Kevich, like it's just dudes. Yep. Mm-hmm. You have the, you have the Claire Bunsen Kevich. It's just dudes on one side. And you got the Cy Spurrier. We're going to get weird. Yep. And like have concepts on the other side. And Mike Carey's like right in the middle where he wants it to be weird. And he doesn't know how weird he can really take it. Yeah. So we have chain, Slash 1A, who is essentially multiple man, right? Except he can manifest weapons. Um, you have Susan in Sunshine, who is a little girl who has like emotional control over other people, unless you make her sad, which, you know, nobody wants to make a little girl sad. Uh, and then you have Styx, who is basically just like a gross like skinless zombie dude who is a zombie boy yeah and so each one of well it's really just chain and sticks but sticks is kind of running the other two and wait there's one more who's the guy with the 3d uh hands bleeding image yeah bleeding image He's or end game which one is i don't know i'm looking these up on there's a couple of them i don't think i said them all no bleeding uh, image is the voodoo doll boy oh end yeah game, end game is the time sink Time sink. That's it. That's Endgame's it. the Sentinel. Yes. Endgame is the one that, that sticks like awakens at the end of this, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter who these people are. That's the beauty. No, unfortunately, it is very bland. Um, the best part of these issues is the character interactions between, like I just said, you know, you've got weird character drama between Rogue and Magneto, Gambit and Frenzy. Um, you know, everybody's sort of on edge with with Legion, and Legion is very superhero-y here. Um, you know, he's sort of muscular, he's got his wristwatch, he's ready to, you know, fight and do battle like a He's wanting to be just like Frenzy, he's wanting to be the version of himself that that was in the Age of X. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it is an odd portrayal of this character who is typically not, you know, acting in that vein. Um, I I do understand the direction and the impulse to push that way. I don't think it's necessarily a bad concept. I think execution wise, it doesn't work out well. And this is this is an issue all throughout the legacy run uh, specifically is that Carrie does a great job with the character beats, does a great job with just the interactions and the interpersonal stuff and the action and the superhero-y stuff that he has to have because it's a book with the word X-Men on it. Mm -hmm. Like he's forced to do that and is not able to take that to any successful level, which is kind of weird and wild to me because a book like his un- adjectiveless X-Men run really is more of a like action forward book in works for sure. it. Yeah. And maybe part of it's the artist that he has on this versus that. Cause on, you know, that adjective list, he had what Chris Bachelot and uh, Umberto Ramos. Yeah. 
Yeah, those so are it's, those are action guys. Where Koi Fam is Koi Fam, and not my favorite artist. Well, Koi is doing something that's much more static, you know. Yes, and and it's it's much more of just a house style. Like for example, when they go into Styx's underground lair, there are these, the catacombs and Perry. Yeah, there are these visions of tentacles and and naked writhing bodies, and it's all, you know, it's supposed to be sort of. Um, I don't know, like horror movie, but it's, it's kind of bland, you know, I feel nothing for it. Right. So I think this entire arc, because you know, that they're going to defeat, uh, Legion's personalities, you know, that they're going to defeat this giant, like robot that pops up at the end, which is an odd manifestation, but you know, it's fine. And you know, everything just kind of goes back the way it is, you know, and it's just, it's just okay. You know, Mike Carey, by the end of his legacy run, like he was running out of steam. Yeah. I mean, he's also really leaning into Rogue. You know that he likes Rogue when this story is another example of Rogue being the 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 engine for solving the crisis at the end of this story. Right. Like she was she was the protagonist of the book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, it's very much a rogue can do anything thing at a certain point. It's like, okay, Mike, I get it, but it does make it weird for this team, ostensibly team book. Yeah, there is a backup story in one of the issues that also um, has rogue working with Rachel's sort of ghost um, from across the cosmos, like like an echo. And that leads into the next arc when they all end up in space. Um, Which is the last arc that Carrie does. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we both agree this is not as good as what we just read with the Spurrier arc. It's not. No, it's very it's, bland. It's, again, I like Mike Carey a lot. Uh, this this arc isn't it. No, no. It, uh, it, there, like I said, some okay character moments, but you know, I, I just don't think this really has it. Uh, Bud's got to cash his paycheck so he can do his novels that... Want me to tell you a dirty little secret, Adam? Sure. You know how I've become a reading person in the last couple of years? Uh-huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. I've only quit a book by one author. Oh, no. That was by Mike Carey. Oh, that makes me sad. I started reading it. And I was like, oh, no, this is like I'm going to world build a sci-fi and it's going to feel like Hunger Games-y and it's like going to replace the word birthday with with something else, but just to like find and replace the word birthday with something else. I'm like, I'm out. Oh, I'm geez. sorry. I'm sorry, Mike. I love you. This <laughs> is, it's not what I needed at the time. I was like, Nope, this one's going back to the library. I'm sorry. Uh, so I've highlighted I like my care. I've got to be so clear. Oh yeah. No, I mean, supernovas definitely one of our, uh, our faves. That's a real fun one, but I do think we're probably in the five hundreds here. What's number 500 right now? What's number 500 right now? Okay, wait. 501 is Extraordinary X-Men 1 through 5. I have... That is 502. Am I wrong? That's 502. I'm just bad at looking at numbers. Oh, okay. I'm just... Because 509, 509, you have highlighted Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire. Yeah. I think this is better than that. Okay. All right. It's shorter. It's only three issues here, bud. Four yeah. issues. Is it better than Giant Size Fantastic Four Volume 1, number 4, with the introduction of Multiple Man and the thing trying to get to his football game? On a train? <laughs> Look, anyone can write three good pages of the thing. <laughs> and it'll make a comic pretty enjoyable. Yeah. How much, how much 
Fantastic Four exists that people like because someone wrote the thing enjoyable for a couple of pages. Yeah. Is this better than the introduction of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, X-Men 4 Again, and 5? Not the first issue, definitely the second issue of that. So what do you think? I would put it actually right below where Genesis, right above Extraordinary X-Men 1 through 5. All right. So this is going to be our new 502. Let's make it 502. Let's do that. Yeah. Legion's lost and we, well, apparently we found him. And you know what? Speaking of guys who definitely kind of run, ran out of steam at the end and we don't really <laughs> talk about it out of respect for the rest of their work. Oh, here we go. It's time for the Muir Island saga, or at least the start of it. Uh, we're talking about Uncanny X-Men 254 to 255. The all new, all different. Here we go again. Oh, uh, uh, boy. It, it's the it's the Muir Island X-Men. And what a what a cast of characters that Chris Claremont has assembled during the post-Outback era. It is so interesting that Chris was so dedicated to making sure that the X-Men were not in X-Men anymore, right? Like, he's so dedicated to this idea that, you know, especially after the Aussie era, that everybody's going to split up and we're not going to see this team together for years. And, you know, I, I know that there was tension, right? Because you have Jim Lee who eventually rests control here with Bob Harris, because both of them want the team to get back together. And it's just funny how like adamantly opposed to that. One, the, the, the architect of X-Men was that he didn't want to write X-Men. So I think there's two things that need to be like in the forefront when we consider this specific era of X-Men. One, the book was double shipping at this point. So while if you're rereading it, you're looking like, oh, this is going on for a spell Uh in in actual publication, which at the time was way more of the uh, focus than it was uh, today where, you know, trades and the longevity of a thing is probably a bit more. Uh, important than how it reads month to month it read a lot faster than you would think oh yeah yep the other thing is i don't dislike the concept of splitting up the x-men i think the execution maybe could be better i think maybe don't make it this weird shadow king story that you've been trying to tell for 40 years chris he's never no one's gonna care no one cares about the shadow king I care about the Shadow King, and I do think you? I Are do. You fascinated by the Shadow King? Okay, it's you little... care about the Shadow King the way I care about Nate Gray, the X Man. Uh, yes, because you also—that's like a, a morbid fascination for you. I think. Yeah, like, I don't not... think Nate Gray's good. I do have yeah. a framed picture of him. Yeah, it's not like your your love of Maggot. You know what I mean? It's a different kind of love. Maggot, right? who I legitimately think is good. Yeah, um, but. I think that the the double shipping of this book, right? So it's coming out every other week is the biggest impediment to what's going on here because mm-hmm. the storytelling is super rushed and the art is super rushed. So Silvestri, obviously one of our most talented artists from this era is just trying his best to keep up. It, and you can tell that in some spots, uh, the, the anchor Mark Green is or Dan Green, excuse me, is doing some of the lifting here. And, you know, like this is just we're only talking about two issues here. Did we did we say that? Two fifty four, two fifty four, two fifty five. 
And we covered 253 in a different episode because, again, all of the stories in this era kind of blend together. Yes. So who exactly are now? Jim Lee does the cover for 254. Who exactly are the Muir Island X-Men that we get treated here to before the Reavers attack and this team? That's it. <laughs> so to be clear, there aren't really Muir Island X-Men in so much as some people were on Muir Island and eventually they got X-Men costumes. Right. Uh, the people who are on the cover are Dr. Moira McTaggart, mm-hmm. uh, Banshee Polaris, which Banshee had not been in the book for almost a decade. Pretty long time. He's back. Uh, po- Polaris, who was... N- people don't rec- really realize this in you know, the grand scheme of things, 1989 Polaris was barely a character. Uh, yeah. And she's she, kind of, she's unlucky. not even a character. She's not even a team member in the sixties. No. That's and the thing. When she comes back right after the brood arc, um, she comes back here and she's been radically transformed right now. Yeah, she's she's got, big Polaris now. Right. And she's got kind of like spiky hair. Cause I I'm sorry. I mentioned the brood arc. There, obviously there's the malice stuff after that. Right. So, yeah. Now she's been freed from malice, but there's the also the stuff has just happened. Yes, yeah. So she looks weird. Um, big Polaris, love a big Polaris. Who else we got? We got Legion, uh-huh. we got Amanda Sefton, weird. We got Brigadier, Brigadier Sandy Stewart, yes. Uh, it's Allison <laughs> Stewart, Tom Corsi, Tom Corsi, and Sharon Friedlander are here, of course. Uh, and Sunder is on the cover, but Sunder gets killed very yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah, because... Rest in peace, guy who they definitely might have thought they were doing a strong guy thing and then forgot. Yeah, probably for the best. So um, the plot is very simple, and that is that uh, the Reavers have decided to attack Muir Island. Uh, Freedom Force, in its uh, current incarnation is also going to stop by to try and stop this from happening. And basically it's not great. Like lots of people get shot. Lots of some, some people die. Destiny dies. Uh, yeah. So Sunder gets killed. Yep. Uh, the Reavers attack uh, Stonewall from freedom force is killed. Destiny is not killed by the Reavers, but she is killed uh, in a thing that we'll get to. Uh, it's, like a big loss for the for the X-Men. Forge does eventually come in and join the group after essentially getting Freedom Force to come and rescue them. Uh which is you know, I honestly I think the Freedom Force stuff is probably the best of all this and maybe it's because these are characters and specifically character dynamics and relationships that the book has actually cared about before this point mm-hmm. whereas even today Forge and Banshee are like co-workers. They're guys who work together. That's it. They aren't like buddies. They aren't lifting together. Well, this is <laughs> this is the uh, beginning of that sort of partnership between the two of them, right? Because the, the weird two time of them, when they were like, we're the only. Yeah. Is, are we like the only X-Men? We're going to go like around. Yeah, we're going to go and we're going to find the rest of the X-Men, right? Which is kind of where the book goes. We're going to find the real X-Men here because we're sure not doing it. Right. Let me tell you what a joy it is to see Blob's butt like just pop out of the sky and fall to the ground on top of some reverse. It's just great. It's great. The Freedom Force stuff is fun. Avalanche and Pyro and Blob. All, all our all our friends. Yes. Uh, they're doing stuff. Mystique's mad. 
her and Destiny. Here's the thing: when I was when I was when I wore a younger man's clothes, mm. uh, I did not pick up that Destiny and Mystique were lovers. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. I was very conservative uh, Christian schoolboy. I just I did wasn't looking. Missed so when, the signs. So when Rogue turned, had two mommies in uh, the classic X Men backup story, I didn't read classic X Men until very recently. To be fair, oh, okay. Like comparatively, I read all of classic X Men after we started this podcast. Fair. It wasn't collected very well. That's true. Uh, reading this, I feel like I should have done a little bit better job reading these comics and understanding them because. Boy, is Claremont being pretty overt about these two women who love each other a lot. Oh, yeah. No, there is no confusion whatsoever. And um, if, if anything might be confusing, it's just that the storytelling here, because of the rushed artwork, because of the right. rushed script, it doesn't feel it doesn't have the emotional impact that it probably should. You know, it's it's implied that Legion kills destiny. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's not told in any sort of suspenseful or exciting way. It just sort of happens. Um, Yeah. You know, it all all builds up with, you know, it's all part of Claremont's buildup for the Muir Island saga. Yeah. And we, we were talking before this recording started about how, you know, it is, in some people's mind, a shame that Claremont never really got to tell his big Shadow King, Muir Island story that he wanted to. And my counter to that is, okay, but did you read the parts that he did write? Because <laughs> it's already a mess. It is some of the weak, the stuff that he did write is some of the weakest in his run. And I feel like this whole double shipping, no, no team era is a mix, is probably one of the most uneven eras of X-Men. Definitely the most uneven of Claremont's you know, main tenure uh, where it's alternating between some really cool and engaging stories. And then also whatever he's doing with the shadow King. Yeah. I mean, we also have to put this into context that this is right before Jim Lee is going to take over um, and alternate with Silvestri, you know, and we get that three issue arc of, of Psylocke's introduction in her new body. And then, you know, we're off to the races, you know, it is the nineties as soon as that happens. So, yeah. Um, this really does feel a little last gasp. Um, so unfortunately I think, you know, even reading this, uh, for the first time, I remember it sort of being anticlimactic, you know, I wanted more out of it, but the not team era literally just goes from like, December of well, I guess if you count where where do you count that starting at when they go through Siege Perilous, I guess. Well, right? but I would I would almost say it starts at two forty six, which is right after right after the boys' night and ladies' night issues. Okay, because the team slowly dies off for five issues, yeah. and then it goes into yeah. Yeah, I still feel like that's the end of the Aussie era. You know what I mean. And then and again, the line, the, the lines are quite blurred. I've blurred because like we even had in the spreadsheet two fifty three. it was like, okay, is this, did we already cover this? Is this part of the, uh, is this part of the Wolverine's crucified arc or is this part of the Muir Island stuff? Yeah. Yep. Uh, 
and heck, you get a bunch of stuff in this about uh, Matsuo Suryaba and mm-hmm. everything that leads into the Mandarin and Psylocke body swap stuff. Yep. But yeah, that whole that whole era, like from here, it's only up until October uh, of ninety that uh, that is. It's less than a year. It's just a lot of issues in between. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's it just probably, a long year. Probably just feels longer, and uh, I think this is probably going to be somewhere around the Muir Island saga on our list. This is better than the Muir Island saga. I would agree, but I don't think it's going to be that much higher. We have that down at 544 on our list. Okay, well then it brings up an excellent point. Is this better than X-Men colon the end colon men and X-Men colon part three? Yes, it is. It absolutely is. Or book three, excuse me. Yeah, no, it is. Um, but I don't know if it's better than Enemy of the State at 520. It's not better than Enemy of the State. I don't think Here's it's... the thing. Enemy of the State got some good John John yeah. art. Is it better it. than that time Professor X was the juggernaut and what if? I feel like yeah. it has to be, right? I mean, there's just yeah, like it is. little... I'm, I got to double check what Christmas issue this is, but I feel like almost any Christmas comic is better than this. Isn't that the Colossus Ghost issue? No, this is not the Colossus Ghost issue. This is uh, Chris Claremont and Salvador Larocca oh. uh, doing a weird one-off because they yeah. had or because Chuck Austin's run ended. This is better but, than that. Is it? Yeah, that has Beast in a Santa costume. I know, but this is better. This this Fine. does have Destiny's death and that reaction of Mystique. So, uh, five thirty. Uh, okay, hold on, Mystique. I'm I'm not getting into it. I'm not getting into it. Did we mention that Legion was in that story? <laughs> Legion kills Destiny. Y'all know. You, you understand. You're listening to this podcast. You know. Yes. You know what happens here, right? Legion kills Destiny. Yes. Uh, well, he, he starts as a defensive status as an X-Men, but then he decides that killing people is fun. Let's walk around and do that. <laughs> Which, and it wasn't the Shadow King. It was Jack Wayne who did that. Sure, I don't know. And Destiny knew because she's Destiny and she went to her death. So that Forge and Mystique could grow closer because it would be important to saving the world. A plot that never really pays off, even though they spend a huge amount of time, except for until the part in Inferno where John Hickman's like, actually, we're going to have that chip finally get cashed in and Forge is going to help them uh, uncover the Moira stuff. Yep. Oh, boy. That... Boy does his reading. (laughs) At some point, we're going to do Inferno 2, Electric Boogaloo, and see how that goes. I like it. I mean, I think the answer is it's not the ending that people wanted uh, with just a bow on everything that Jonathan Hickman did. But what Jonathan Hickman did was set up a status quo and put a lot of thought into that and said, okay, and then this is is kind of the beats if we wanted to go that way. But also we're in a collaborative environment and not everything goes that way. It turns out first idea, not always best idea. I'll be back. First idea, best idea. Yeah. Actually, no. I 100% believe that Marvel will throw money his way and he'll eventually do an X-Men thing again. Like, yeah. that's, not, that's not actually that crazy because... No. They will. Just think, if the answer is Marvel just needs to pay this man, then they're going to make a lot of money by saying, by the way, Jonathan Hickman's coming back and doing six issues of X-Men. That's going to sell a few comics. I think so. Solid episode. But we got, we got like, we got, we got at least a solid two years. Oh, it's not happening anytime happens. soon. No. They got to let them write ultimates or whatever. (laughs) Adam, did you see it's going to have data pages? 
Uh, yeah, that was part of the pitch. Wasn't that part of the solicit? <laughs> it was part of the solicit. And here's the thing. I want to be clear because I was part of the data pages are great hype, and I don't disagree that they're great. They are a tool to be used, just like saying, also, this is going to be in color. Yes. <laughs> Y'all, that it's going to have a letters column. I don't care. That's not... That's not the selling point for me is that Jonathan Hickman loves graphic design. I think it's very funny. Don't put it in the solicit. Promise. How do we close out this stupid podcast? I think we usually ask each other what's up, but um, as of recording this, Comics XF is in sort of like a weird place. So hopefully it's back if by the any, time. Guys, if it's not up, folks, if it's not up by this time, uh, by the time you hear this, someone please personally reach out. because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm very scared. <laughs> It's, it involves scripts in malware, apparently. In I, the website's broken before. This is the most broken it's been. Yeah, I'm, I have faith in you, buddy. So anyway, Adam, wait, no, Adam, you actually do have something to announce to people. Oh, so what, uh, yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, I am. I am now starting my uh, print store on Inprint, uh, which is inprnt dot com. Um, you know, if you follow me on either Instagram at adam.rec or Twitter at Arthur Stacy, you've probably seen me link to this, but for years, people have been asking for prints of my artwork. And so I am slowly uploading those so that if anybody wants them and you want a little framed picture of, uh, the exterminators or Wolverine or Gene and, and, uh, and Scott or whatever, I promise more art will, will be coming up, but, uh, go take a look, you know. Maybe get something. Listen, the moment that I actually sit down and have a credit card in front of me, I'm going to buy one. I'm just, I'm waiting for me to remember it, not while I'm on the toilet looking at Instagram. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, Adam's got that store. I got to go to it. Well, thank you. I appreciate your support. And Adam, uh, I've made this joke to you before is that I am sitting in a room shock a block with art. <laughs> None of which by my very good art friend, Adam. See, this is everybody's opportunity. What do you got going on? Anything? No. Great. I'm reading. I'm reading multiple books right now. That's it. That's a something. Uh, what are we doing next week? You have such you a big that. smile on your face. I Every time we do it, I. <laughs> we waited so long. We waited so long to do 2099 that I'm excited that we're doing even more 2099. Yes. Back to the future. <laughs> Back to the future too. I was going to say the subtitle, but those movies did not have them. <laughs> nope. It's your kids, Marty. We got to do something about your kids. That was like if Strong Bad was doing a Doc Samson. That's not his name. What? Dr. DeLorean. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't catch my breath. <laughs> you think I'm joking? I do not. I do not know the name of the name of the doctor in back to the future uh emmett brown dr emmett brown okay i believe you adam until then folks oh thank you to uh sukasari uh 1203 uh patreon go do it until you do the patreon folks this has been by the adam we hope you survived the experience get it